Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin, Beijing. Chinese President Xi Jinping has described sustainable development as a golden key to solving current global problems. The Chinese leader made the remark at an informal dialogue between APEC leaders and the host nation in the city of San Francisco. Xi Jinping called on APEC member economies to further consolidate consensus and take actions to drive forward global sustainable development. He also proposed forging a new path of green transformation and building global synergy to address the issue of climate change. Thursday local time also saw the Chinese leader deliver a written message to an APEC CEO summit, as well as holding bilateral conversations with top leaders of Japan, Mexico, Peru, and Fiji. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. Thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Also joining us on the line is Professor Shen Ding Li from the Institute of International Studies, Fudan University in Shanghai. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you. And finally, we have Professor Joseph Siracusa, Dean of Global Futures, was Curtin University in Australia. Hello, Professor. So, Professor Shen Ding Li,、uh, why not to start with you?、Uh, why do you think, in China's mentality, sustainable development? Is the golden key to solving some of the current existing global problems? Well,、uh, the resource in the world is limited, so we have to save the resource uh, by uh, cutting carbon emissions and using a more sustainable green energy in our industry, transportation, energy of use.、Uh, we will be better able to drive the global economy. In a sustainable way, that's China's mentality.、Mm-hmm. Okay, so Professor Zhou, what is your thought in this question? Yeah, I think that、uh, we are talking about the sustainable development. I, I, I mean that we have、uh, such a limited resources, as the professor has mentioned. But on the other hand, we still have so many different views about how can we use the resources. So in in a way, we can you know depend on the Development a lot because there are so many different countries and regions are in different stage. Some of them are trying to be better on the manufacturing, but others are so limited on the climate change related issue, like those、uh, small island countries. So I think that、uh, we, when can we deal with these troubles and solve this problem? It should be based on the development, not just by only a certain or very small part of the countries who can develop better, while other countries suffer. That is not the right way.、Hmm. So Professor Siracusa, I mean President Xi Jinping made this proposal or made this particular remark as he was addressing an informal dialogue between APEC leader between APEC leaders and the host nation in San Francisco. So, was that in mind when, for example, when we talk about APEC、uh, and with regard to sustainable development? What do you think are the issues or areas where it is possible for APEC member economies to build consensus right now? That's a very good question. Well, what what President Xi is, it seems to me, is he's asking the the APEC nations, which are major players in the world, to、uh, get behind the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which encompasses all these other problems about making the world a little greener, a little less uh, uh, coal, and、uh, more biosecurity, and the rest of it. And I think that was a, a very statesmanlike thing to say because APEC works. To the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals schedule, and by saying that、uh, we should all kind of work together to get behind these proposals, and it also tells me,、uh, as a Western analyst, that、uh, President Xi is is very interested in emphasizing or underscoring, outla-、uh, underlining the importance of global development. That is the development process. A lot of the European and the United States, North America, are interested in. You know, they hardly take the global South seriously, to tell you the truth. And by developing, by by underscoring or underlining the commitment to 
these development goals. I, I think it's a, an opportunity the president uh, saw to put everybody on the same page in terms of, uh, uh, you know, trying to get rid of global poverty by 2030. It's not going to happen, but we're going to have to do it again. And all these goals are about uh, uh, sort of redeeming the uh, human beings, making the earth a little better to live in. And it's also about uh, getting rid of conflict and violence, too. So it's all encompassing. And he supports what I call an internationalist goal. And it's a very good way to start a conference. Hmm. Okay. So, Professor Shen, going back to you, uh, China and the United States have agreed to resume a working group in, in terms of the climate-related challenges, and they have also agreed to set up their cooperation on on this chemical, this particular chemical called um, uh, methane, and also support some of the global efforts to triple renewable energy scale by the year 2030. So, to what extent do you think this agreement, this particular agreement between U.S. and China, will help, say, build global synergy to address the climate change? Well, I think uh, through this summit, the two countries have uh, agreed to work together on、uh, the issue of climate change through three components. One is、uh, to encourage China. And to assist China、uh, working、uh, to fulfill China's、uh, national、uh, carbon reduction、uh, plan, it's a unilateral. China say whatever you do, I will do.、Hmm. Second, bilateral. China U.S. working together, so the two country should behave like a partner to work on this project together. And third,、uh, working through the UN COP framework. That is. China, U.S. working together, partnering with the rest of of the world, entire globe, to advance the uh, target uh, to reduce carbon emission in relative term by 2030. Of course, in long range, in absolute term, zero、uh, emission by 2060 for China,、yes. by 2050 for United States, and possibly China can advance. Uh, such this uh, timeline uh, by certain years, so this is a great achievement at least politically that the two presidents have agreed to work together. Okay, so actually among this、uh, a few proposals on sustainable development that President Xi Jinping made at this informal dialogue between APEC leaders and the host nation in San Francisco. The first and foremost thing he talked about is actually the implementation of the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. So, Dr. Zhou, what do you think this tells us about how China perceives the the role of the United Nations on on international affairs, particularly on some of the、uh, you know development related issues? Yeah, actually, we know that UN has played a very important role in the development issues. So when they made the commitment of the 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 2030 agenda in the year of 2015, it's already you know eight years ago. So they made some very very I would say that a very bound assumption that we can do a lot of cooperation in the following 15 years. But you know that eight years have passed, so there are so not so many achievements. And on the contrary, we see some of the you know setback by some of the protectionism or some of unilateralism. So I would say that China proposed these kind of issues to to see that we are in a world when we see so many differences among the countries, especially those weak countries, small economies. We should try to respect their rights to develop. So in in this regard, I would say that the countries should try to work together to address the challenges and fulfill all the commitments that we have made eight years ago. Hmm. So. Professor Syracuse, how would you make of this phenomenon that、uh, Chinese leader kept have kept emphasizing this、uh, UN 2030 agenda for sustainable development? I guess we're not only talking about President Xi Jinping here. Actually,、uh, for some of the lower level officials、um, uh, in the Chinese government and the Chinese authorities, 
This is、uh, something they have been talking about as well. Whenever they, for example, they pay visit to the UN General Assembly or some of the other UN、uh, UN related agencies. Yeah, the、uh, the 2030 agenda is very important. My own university here in Australia is completely committed to、uh, to realizing the 2030 agenda and the strategic development goals. And and I think、uh, President President Xi has made it very clear that. Uh, Uh, China takes a, an international, a global view of the problem. I, I have to say, unfortunately, the United States、uh, has never been as keen on the United Nations and those other nations in the General Assembly as other nations. I mean, the United States mistrusts the United Nations, mistrusts the leadership. That is, the American people have never been prepared to accept the United Nations as a major player. The U.S. on the Security Council, of course, can do what it damn well pleases. But、uh, I, I think.、Uh, President Xi's、uh, embrace of these goals within the United Nations suggests、uh, a global, internationalist view that the United States talks about having a lot of the time, but when it comes down to the United Nations programs, has a difficult time joining、uh, on other occasions. So,、uh, I, I think it's the internationalist concept. This problem can only be solved internationally; can't、mm. be solved any other way. And、okay. so the, the Chinese leadership is pointing the way, and literally inviting the Americans to follow suit.、Hmm. So Professor Shen Dingli,、uh, in his、uh, written message to this APEC CEOs、uh, summit, President Xi Jinping said that the Asia Pacific region cannot and should not be an arena for geopolitical rivalry, calling for unity to achieve more and better regional cooperation. So, why do you think it is the case here in the Asia Pacific region that development and cooperation, rather than say、uh, confrontation, conflicts, or even wars, hot wars,、um, is the overall main focus of this region? Well, on the one side,、uh, Asia Pacific area、uh, have lots of positive developments, including APEC. Uh, member economies、uh, try to meet together, work together to promote common goals for each members and for members、uh, collectively. In the meantime, we do see that this region is rich in regional tension. Category one,、mm. unification on the issue of the Korean, Korean Peninsula, whether it should be united. And who should be the leading force to navigate the process peacefully for the unification and cross Taiwan Strait?、Uh, how and uh, uh, in what manner this can be conducted in a way that is stable and peaceful, beneficial to both sides of the party? And how outside the power should not play a negative role, siding with one partner,、uh, one side、uh, against the other side? And also category two,、uh, those、uh, territorial dispute and、uh, resource dispute、uh, between members in the region. There are plenty of them, and we are upset that a certain ex outside force, which is not a force in the East Asia and、uh, in West Pacific, but from outside the region, that one、uh, have stationed the military in the region. And、uh, try to、uh, dictate members here to、uh, have the process per the interest of that particular outside power, and that is not in the interest of the region.、Mm-hmm. So President Xi tries tries to indicate that rather than rival and、uh, compete in a negative term, we should help、uh, the process of resolving this dispute. Through collaboration, rather than a rivalry, I think he has made this very clear.、Mm. So, by the way, Professor Shen, when you when you talk about external power, are you、uh, referring to say organizations like、uh, NATO? I mean, supposedly NATO should be、uh, the geo、uh, the geographical operation of NATO should be you know. Defined within the the area of the North Atlantic, but now this military alliance is talking about opening an office in in Japan. 
Uh, well, to be blunt, I meant the United States. U.S. Uh, actually is a member of the Asia-Pacific, but uh, it is in the east side of the Asia-Pacific, rather than the, in the area of East Asia or West Pacific. So the regional tension, resource dispute, territorial dispute, uh, national unification are all happening in uh, East Asia. Uh, we welcome America uh, to come here as a member of Asia Pacific. As a non-member of the West Pacific or East Asia, to contribute, to stabilize the situation, rather than to side with one or two members, to be against uh, the other one or two members. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I, I would say America tried to introduce NATO to uh, play a role. And uh, that does not uh, uh, seem to be uh, uh, promising. NATO okay. has a regional focus. It has nothing to do with East Asia. So that kind of American role to try to uh, play its dominant role and bring uh, European force to the region uh, may upset um, quite a number of members uh, to be uh, beneficial to other few members. That divides the region. That, in my view, is not is unhelpful. Mm. Yeah, so I guess that's uh, really raising some concern that the Asia-Pacific is becoming an arena for geopolitical rivalry, and that's something that at least uh, China or the Chinese government is standing against unequivocally. So in a written message, Xi Jinping also called for an open and non-discriminatory environment for science and technological matters. So, Dr. Zhou Mi, do you agree that openness, rather than erecting or setting up of barriers for the flow of scientific or technological know-how, is in the overall best interests of the Asia-Pacific region? Yeah, actually, you know, when we're talking about the goal of the APEC, one of these uh, characteristics is uh, open. So uh, many of the rules and practices are based on these characteristics. So we know that open means that all the enterprises and stakeholders can deal with the situation based on the market rule. So they, they may try to define what kind of uh, areas they, they want to explore and make some investment in the first. So if there are many barriers, many protagonism, many kind of uh, so-called guidelines of national security, it will it definitely bad for the investors to make a decision. If you are looking at the semiconductors, you know, in the past few years, a lot of restrictions has been placed in this sector. Well, the enterprises should have to to worry about their future. Some of them have to buy more things for the stocks. Some of them are not able to make the related research and development. This is definitely a very bad thing for the long term or the prosperity of that sector. And maybe it's uh, the global supply chain of a semiconductor in a chaos. So I don't think that, uh, you know, a lot of barriers will benefit the world, especially under the, the threat of the COVID, and when we are have to recover from that impact. Mm. So, Professor Joseph Syracuse, actually, when we talk about, say, geopolitical uh, rivalry on one hand, and, say, uh, the flow of science and technological know-how on the other hand, uh, do you think, um, on your part, do you have this uh, particular concern that these two issues, these two things, are increasingly intertwined with one another nowadays? Well, sometimes they do. During the the Cold War, science and other exchanges and student exchanges uh, flowed very easily between East and West. I don't see any problem right now. Uh, the um, I. I we call it soft diplomacy now, people to people. And, and I have to say to you, the, the third largest export in Australian history, of course, are Chinese students, international students, most of whom are Chinese, who uh, have a major role to play in Australian higher education. And we're happy to have them. And uh, we, we hope they sort of imbibe what's going on in this neck of the place and this neck of the world. So uh, I think it's very, very important. I'd hate to see uh, political rivalry uh, tamp down the interest in 
people to people. I mean, people are people everywhere. They want to see the world. They want to know what's going on. And to me, it seems to me the great buffer to uh, political elites making mistakes is to allow their people to go wherever they want and see whatever they want, and make lifelong friends and the rest of it. So, you know, I don't see it as a major impediment. Hmm. So in the meantime, uh, this particular meeting between President Xi Jinping and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida was uh, actually their first face-to-face talks uh, in a year. In a meeting, President Xi Jinping told uh, Japanese Prime Minister that the two countries, China and Japan, should focus on common interests and reaffirm their strategic relationship of mutual benefit and give this um, you know, strategic relationship of mutual benefit a, some new meaning. Actually, pursuing a mutually beneficial relationship based on common strategic interests is the phrasing used in a 2008 joint statement between China and Japan. But in recent years, uh, it appears that this particular phrasing has been used less frequently. So with that in mind, Professor Shen Ding Li, in your, in your observation of the situation, what do you make of President Xi Jinping's wording here? Well, I think uh, a successful story was such. Uh, despite the fact that China and Japan uh, have ter- territorial dispute, uh, the two military worked out uh, a document, uh, a regulation, which is called uh, East China Sea, uh, Air, uh, uh, Space and Water Emergency Liaison Mechanism, which says if the two uh, countries' warplanes are approaching too closely, or two warships of both countries are approaching too closely. The captain and pilots of both should turn on their uh, open channel, speaking not in Japanese and, and Chinese language, but in English, to converse, to say hello, and then uh, to reverse their course uh, in order not to collide. This is very difficult to do, but they did it. But uh, I think this is a good story to increase the strategic stability, despite their strategic difference. But uh, uh, on the other hand, sometimes when the two countries incurred some uh, tsunami or uh, flood, earthquake, etc., mm. uh, they may not uh, work that well. And uh, uh, China accepted when the northern Sichuan had earthquake. China accepted Japanese goodwill to send its donation to Sichuan. But when Jap- Japan incurred tsunami, China said we are willing to send our uh, rescue uh, team, but Japan politely refused. I hope uh, uh, in the future, if Japan would not ha- would have no tsunami, but in case they would politely accept it and say thank you. And the two countries work, should work together uh, to be against the pandemics, to work together positively on climate change. This way, they may deepen their trust and may uh, truly build up their mutually beneficial strategic partnership. Mm. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Shen Ding Li, uh, for putting this uh, picture into a broader perspective. Um, yeah, I guess uh, in reality, judging from this uh, latest uh, talks between President Xi Jinping and Fumio Kishida, there is still a good chance for China and Japan to pursue some mutually beneficial relationship, despite their sometimes, uh, you know, occurring frictions and conflicts. But we will take a short break. We have been speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Professor Shen Ding Li, and Professor Joseph Syracuse. Let's take a short break here. Coming back, our discussion will continue. Stay tuned. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. The Wednesday meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden are continuing to generate headlines in media. 
So will this key moment help stabilize the bilateral ties? This question and more in the second half of this edition of World Today. We are joined by Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. Professor Shen Dingli from the Institute of International Studies, Fudan University, and Professor Joseph Syracuse, Dean of Global Futures, was Curtin University in Australia. So, Dr. Zhou Mi, going back to you.、Um, so, what President Xi Jinping has told、um, some American business executives in San Francisco on? On 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 the evening of Wednesday local time, is that China was ready to be a partner and a friend of the United States, and he said there is plenty of room for bilateral cooperation. On the other hand, if we take a look at the U.S. readout of the Xi Jinping Biden meeting on Wednesday,、uh, do you think the U.S. government is、uh, is seeing China as a friend or as a partner? Um, I, I think that、uh, I'm, it's very difficult to、uh, to answer this question. So you know, the the embassy of United States in Beijing just published some of the explanation and some of the you know like the addressings of the Biden when they meet with each other. And I, I noticed that there、uh, the President Biden still placed China as a competitive. Partner and actually, if we are trying to talk about that, there are some of the fields that Biden has mentioned that we can cooperate by both countries, but they're still trying to trying to do it,、uh, you know, like it's a euro way. So actually, when are talking about that relation, I would see that from market aspects, from their perspective, I would see that many of the stakeholders, like from the different states, from the business. From many areas like agriculture, the universities, they really want to cooperate with China in different、uh, areas, even for the climate change and some of the supply chain stabili- stability issues. But for some political reasons, I don't think that the、uh, United States is、uh, quite willing to just、uh, be as friendly as it was、uh, before. So it's a very hard question for me to answer, just in just one word. Hmm. Very difficult question for Dr. Zhou Mi to answer. What about you, Professor Joseph Syracuse? Well, look.、Um, I saw the readout, and I, I also saw the White House uh, uh, website, which has、um, President Xi and President Biden's initial comments to each other when they met at this table, and、uh, very full comments, word for word,、uh, very、uh, hopeful type comments.、Uh, So I wouldn't be so much worried about the readout. The readout is just a synthesis of what somebody said. But I think the、uh, the atmosphere of the conference or the get together is captured in those initial comments.、Uh, and Biden says, you know, I'm prepared to talk. You know, we've got our differences, but you know, we got a lot of things to do together.、And、President Xi said、uh, famously, it's going to be a famous line. He said, the the earth is big enough for China and the United States.、Uh, Each to succeed and solve their problems, and you know it is. And, and, and in a sense, those opening comments, and the, this is what is missing in the readout, is that the they both recognize that the Chinese-American relationship is not only the most important relationship in the world, but it is too large to fail. And both of them have agreed that it should never be allowed to fail because、uh, they're not going to let it happen. I think that's quite. Uh, quite an advance over the last 18 months, which had a lot of misunderstandings. I don't care who whose side it was on, but I think it was、uh, very hopeful. I mean, in terms of its hopefulness and its prospects,、uh, I would place、uh, the, the the meeting they had and wasn't that long. I place it in the same category, but not at the same level as the、um, meetings between、uh, President Nixon and. And Chairman Mao in 1972. It's a very hopeful sign. They can sit down and talk about these things. And I think the important thing here is they think that it's just too big to fail.、Mm, too big to fail. So on the other hand, Professor Shen Dingli,、uh, one thing President Xi Jinping has said in San Francisco is that,、uh, "quote 
Whatever stage of development it may reach, China will never pursue hegemony or expansion, and China will never impose its own will on others. China does not seek spheres of influence, and China will not fight any cold war or any hot war with anyone. Unquote. So I guess、um, this is probably. A reflection of China's actual mindset on international affairs today. But why do you think certain people? I'm not naming them clearly, but why do you think certain people still see China as a threat? Well, uh, uh, academically, uh, what is the definition of threat? A threat is a product of、uh, A and B. A is The ability to threat. B is the intent to threat. Of course, China's ability expands and, and develops, rises very rapidly. Therefore, American, British, and quite some people—you don't say America. Let me say America. View such a,、uh, lifting of China's capacity as threat. But China say no, no, no. Even though my ability is rising. But I have no intent to threat. So when A is rising, B is zero. The product of the two is still zero. So China wants to convince America: I have no intent to do bad things, no seeking of hegemony,、uh, no undermining of Americans' stature. But Americans say, no, no, no. You may have some intent. Or you may shift your intent from zero to、uh, more than zero, and then you have a big amount of ability. So I think at this time,、uh, China insists that I'm no, I'm have no intent. But China is unable to convince America. Americans say no, since you have ability, so you may shift your intent. So America cannot convince China. So I think、uh, each side has suspicion. Why not to collaborate? For instance, on、uh, fixing the pandemic, develop developing uh, those uh, uh, medicine together, and、uh, working on、uh, the way to fix tsunami, to fix the waste nuclear water, and to fix the negative things of regional uh, 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 negative development. If we do many positive. Collaboration, America may really trust, despite China's expanded capacity. China has used the capacity for regional and global goods, so I no longer worry about the China's shift of intent suddenly. So my proposal, why would I propose? Let's partner, working together for common goods, and shift our different view regarding the. Uh, the, the what、uh, defines a threat?、Mm, yeah. So, Dr. Zhou Mi,、uh, let me get your take on this. I mean,、uh, somehow, as I listened to the elaboration just now by Professor Shen Dingli, I feel like, yeah, these are、uh, when we talk about intention on one hand and the real capability on the other hand. These are two different things. They are. You know, not sometimes not、uh, closely connected to each other. These are two parallel lines of story. But on the other hand, I guess on the part of、um, President Xi Jinping himself,、um, he has assured those American business executives、uh, at this particular event on Wednesday night, local time, San Francisco, that no matter how the global landscape is evolving and will evolve. The historical trends of peaceful coexistence between the U.S. and China will not change, and I feel like、uh, there seems to be a, a a great sense of confidence and optimism here on the part of President Xi Jinping.、Uh, do you share this optimism? Yeah,、uh, you know, when we are talking about the future, many of us will review what we have passed as a history. So actually,、uh, we know that in the history of the the Western economies, a lot of、uh, you know the philosophy comes of the so-called perceived 
some of the phenomena, like in the World War One, World War Two, so many things happened. So may, maybe for some of the people in the Western countries, they really think that you are strong and you are you will you will do something bad. So actually, from the Oriental philosophy, we are not doing like that, as also can be proved in the history. As for, I think that President Xi, when he mentioned this, uh, it is it, kind of a reminder that, you know, no matter what will, you know, happen between China and United States, Chinese market will always open for, for the foreign investors. They can benefit by the development of Chinese market and they can also connect it to China more. Even there are some kind of uncertainty between the, you know, uh, the, you know, out of China, but also in, in domestic Chinese market, we can do more. Well, at the same time, I think that uh, he also believes that when the government is trying to do something to, to change the rule of the market, they have to obey the force of the market itself. Because when we are looking at some of the interference of the, of the government in the past, you know, none of them will success for the longer term. So actually, the market is playing the certain and more important role in deciding the resources allocation. And he believes that the market is what we should respect for. Mm. Okay, so Professor Joseph Syracuse, um, I mean, when we talk about the sense of confidence and optimism on the part of President Xi Jinping here, um, on, on the other hand, do you think it is possible for today's politician in Washington, D.C. to have the same uh, degree of confidence or optimism? Well, uh, even if they don't, they have to deal with the hundreds of millions of Americans who do. I was just listening to your comments there, and uh, I was thinking that the political establishment and the foreign policy elite in Washington uh, harbor anti-Chinese views in terms of pacing, and they see China one day as seeking global mastery of the world or something like that. The American people do not share these views. I mean, I am extremely pleased that President Xi spelled it out uh, for ordinary Americans to understand that China is not going to use its great wealth to go on the warpath. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Washington establishment would require the resources and the support of the American people. Uh, America is never going to ask the American people if this is a good idea because they'd have to pay for it in war taxes or they'd have to maybe push Social Security aside. And of course, uh, what we haven't talked about tonight is that China is America's second greatest creditor and holds $800 trillion in treasury bonds. So when, when, when President Xi is telling Biden, you know, we're not going to fight about anything, he should have also said to him, you know, we, we, we own an awful lot of your debt or you owe us a lot of money. So they're partners. My point is this. I'd make a distinction between America, which is the foreign policy and political establishment in Washington, D.C., which is sort of disconnected from time to time, and the, the vast amount of American people who have no intention of going to war with China over anything because they don't see any reason to do so. There is no cases belli. There is no obvious reason. China is not uh, pushing at America's borders or inciting riots in, uh, within the American homeland. So uh, I think uh, President Xi's uh, made a, made a you know a very important point to the overwhelming majority of American voters. Mm. Talking about the overwhelming majority of the U.S. public, where the average people in America, actually, one thing that China, including President Xi Jinping himself, has emphasized a lot recently is the people-to-people -people ties and some of the those uh, historical friendship between the U.S. and China. For example, Flying Tiger Veterans' recent trip to China generated a lot of media attention in this country, and uh, Xi Jinping's 1985 trip to, to the United States when he was a local Chinese official in the northern Chinese province of Hebei uh, is being recalled a great amount uh, these days as well. So, Professor Shending Li, um, as a scholar, what is your thought when you read stories like this? I mean, personally, you have a lot of people-to-people um, -people ties with American friends as well, I guess. Yes, indeed. I have a lot of stories about my engagement of flying tiger veterans. 
One story is, I have a good friend. Uh, he invited myself to his uh, home. At his home, I saw uh, a, a certificate issued by uh, the Chinese central government to his dad. His dad returned to America uh, uh, safely. Mm. But the certificate said that we pay tribute to you for your uh, heroic uh, uh, performance to help the Chinese people. I feel very much touched. Another story is that when I ride a limousine from, uh, mm-hmm. from airport to Princeton, uh, I used to be a visiting scholar at Princeton. I uh, happened to sit next to a, a, a lady who is a daughter of a veteran of Flying Tiger. After understanding this, I paid my uh, a tribute to her and her dad. And uh, I used to spend a week with the then senator leader, uh, Senator Stevens, uh, at a, the time when he was already 90 years old. And uh, why I understand he was a fright tiger. And uh, I pay my respect to him. And one day when I was working at the Center for American Studies of Fudan University, which uh, was my uh, office base, mm-hmm. some people come to my office. Uh, profession, I'm so sorry we disrupt you without giving you a prior notice. So I brought a team of flying tiger veterans. Uh, this is a, 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 a person from Zhongguo uh, Yoshi, uh, Chinese National Association of uh, friendship toward uh, foreign people. I instantly organized some 30 students to welcome them, to ask them to give a speech. Uh, playing uh, uh, PPT to terrorists. How these old heroes used to uh, uh, fight with Japanese uh, aggressors. So I have lots of uh, such stories. I'm so happy that uh, President Xi Jinping received the last few survived uh, veterans. They are still uh, alive. They are treasure for the living uh, evidence for China-U.S strategic friendship, and more than 3,000 of them died in China. So I feel touched. I pay respect to them. I hope uh, in the future time, uh, the two countries should still work together, beating pandemic, beating tsunami, beating floods, beating threat to nuclear security. We still have a lot to do. Mm. So this inspires me, inspires many other people, if the two countries could remember those old good times, why we cannot uh, develop an even more bright, promising future for China-U.S. relationship? Mm. So, Dr. Zhou Mi, one message that President Xi Jinping has been trying to convey to the United States, I guess, since his Berlin meeting with Mr. Biden last year, is that China actually very much respects the political and social system of the United States. And in the meantime, China hopes to gain the same kind of respect from the United States as well in this regard. In real practice, how do you think China and the United States can put away pride and prejudice in viewing each other. Yeah, uh, I I don't think that it's a, it's a kind of uh, thing that we can easily to reach the consensus about what we can do for the future. But actually, actually, both countries are you know confronted with uh, challenges. You know, some of them are the common challenges. Some of them are different challenges. Chinese people always treat others as friends first. But if we have to do something to you know to to defend, we we are no hesitant to do that. Actually, for China and the United States, we are both very important countries in the APEC regions, and we are able to deal with uh, the problems by the cooperation instead of just fighting against each other. I, I think that, that has been proved for many times, even for the Pacific War in the World War II. So actually, they talked about that so that the American soldiers help us, but when also covered uh, the American soldiers, and uh, for one soldier, we, we have you know sacrificed more than 1,000 people, Chinese people. So both sides are really sacrificing the past and we are striving for some certain goal. 
I mean, in the future, there are so many challenges like the climate change, the AI, the terrorism, and also some un, you know, unknown threat maybe from the internet, from the space. So actually, we should try to address the demands of the market and trying to make the working groups more practical since they have uh, you know, uh, agreed that we started some kind of uh, more uh, negotiations uh, after the meetings. So after one year, I mean, that world has changed a lot. So both sides are trying to address the challenges and we should try to respect the you know the economies not only for ourselves but also for other economies in the world and that is something that we have to to do as a responsible countries in the world mm. so professor Syracuse talking about say mutual respect uh, I'm not sure whether you would agree agree with me in this point but I feel like uh, you know economic development prosperity Equity, justice, democracy, freedom, these are really universal values. They are arguably common aspirations of all peoples. And of course, uh, when we talk about operational matters, different countries have different approaches, including different political system, social system, to pursue these particular aspirations. And definitely between the, the, the American approach and the Chinese approach, there is a lot of um, differences here. Do you think these differences should be respected? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, on a personal note here, I'm, I'm 79 years old, so uh, I'm probably older than the People's Republic of China, technically. And I'm as old as, uh, as President Biden. And uh, for me, Sino-American relations, even Sino-Australian relations, have mostly been on an even keel. Uh, we've all respected each other. And when we had different organizing principles, that is different systems of government, it just simply meant uh, peaceful coexistence or mutual coexistence. Uh, this, uh, there are certain things that uh, transcend uh, rivalries, and those are these... Uh, the human rights issues and the Charter of the United Nations, and these are all things that we can see and feel. And you know, uh, everybody uh, defines the true, the good, and the beautiful differently. But I'll tell you what: at the end of the day, mm-hmm. everybody in China, the United States, and even here in Australia, they all are—they're all human beings, and human nature hasn't changed in 2,500 years. No matter how much people come to respect each other. There's always a, that little bit of fear in the background, and that has to be governed. That has to be tamed from time to time. Okay. So one thing uh, President Xi Jinping has said in San Francisco is that uh, China is willing to invite some 50,000 young Americans to come to China for economic uh, studies, academic studies, rather, and for some of the exchange programs as well over the next five years. So, Professor Shen, here I think we can raise a bigger question. Nowadays, how do you think China and the United States can maintain the interests of their of their people to keep learning about each other's uh, society and cultures? Well, personally, I have been invited to Colorado College. Uh, they call themselves as CC in Colorado uh, uh, Springs. I have taught there uh, on the issue of competitive politics and China's foreign policy uh, in the last two decades for about 10 times. Mm. And uh, Fudan University and the CC maintain uh, uh, inter-university collaborative program. They invite Fudan students uh, undergraduate to spend half a year or year as assistant in their Chinese language teaching program. And they spend their own money to send some 10 uh, uh, undergraduate students to Fudan, to Beijing, to various parts of China for a few uh, months to bring their own faculty members to teach in China to open their students' uh, uh, vision. And they are coming again uh, uh, in the near future. So I'm going to meet with them. So if China can extend invitation to them, to so many people, 50,000, and probably can also pay some uh, uh, hospitality to them, I think many of them would be very excited and would be very appreciative. So there is no issue that they would not accept the invitation. They would apply for uh, such a uh, a possible invitation as the guest of Chinese side. 
So we should encourage such a positive development. Uh, even America may not invite our kids to pay hospitality to our young people. We may still work out a program for people-to-people exchange, spending our own money uh, from our parents, from our uh, gener- generous people from Chinese society, to uh, uh, have more Chinese kids to open their eyes uh, to understand what America is really uh, is. That would be uh, having a very deep impact for this, uh, for the life of these young people. Let's mm. do it. Okay. So, Professor Joseph Syracuse, we still have about ninety seconds before we need to wrap up this dialogue. Um, the final question before we let you go. Do you support this particular idea regarding sending uh, some giant pandas from China back to the United States zooms once again? I mean, this is something that President Xi Jinping has suggested in San Francisco. Well, in terms of soft diplomacy and what could be softer than a panda, Americans adore, they love those pandas. I mean, I think there is more uh, goodwill diplomacy and some pandas being sent to the United States, then, you know, a ton of other things we can do. Yes, I support that completely, as a matter of fact. Uh, and that is a gift from the Chinese government to the um, to the American people and all their children to be looking at those pandas for the rest of their lives. Mm. Thank you very much. And hopefully, uh, going forward, we will uh, be able to revive a great momentum on all different fronts regarding the bilateral China-U.S. relations. But we have been speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Professor Shen Ding Li, joining us from Fudan University, and Professor Joseph Syracuse, Dean of Global Futures with Curtin University in Australia. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. So if you want to listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, please download our podcast by searching World Today. And for more, you can follow us on X at CGTN Radio. I'm Ding Honey Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.